0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3 of Justice. Today we have Karen Rugley here with us. Uh, Karen, go ahead and say hello. Hello, hello. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm so excited about this. Of course, I'm really excited to have you on as well. Thank you for being here and uh, willing to give up some of your time in quarantine to to be on this podcast. It really is my privilege. It's my (laughs) Awesome. Karen, uh, if you don't mind, would you uh, just introduce yourself and even share just a little bit about uh, what you do? Yeah.
1: in the Center for Student Action, which is part of our uh, spiritual life team at APU. And our office is really there to help mobilize and educate all APU students to do responsible and transformational service. And we do that locally, nationally, and internationally. I love being able to pour into students and challenge them to think differently and to really unpack what does responsible service look like how do we do that locally and nationally and internationally and
0: yeah it's it really is my dream job i can't Mm. imagine doing anything else (laughs) so cool um we'll get we'll get right into it um karen how would you personally define uh this very complex topic of justice yeah
1: i'm glad that you start out with an easy one thank you so much for that very um you know softball some low-hanging fruit if you will um I, i i think you're right in that it is complex and i think could come up with a definition and that would be all well and good, but I feel like the the definition that rings most true to me is Dr. Cornell West's definition, which is justice is what love looks like in public. And to be totally honest, I don't know that I could come up with a definition that's any better than that. And I I really appreciate that response because I think in it it's so deep it's so it's such a simple response it's something easy to memorize right justice is what love looks like in public so it's an easy thing to memorize but it's also got such depth in it you know um with the idea that you're taking these really big things like justice and love and you're tying them together in a way that actually puts like meat on the bones of justice, right? It's, I really love the the visual representations that we see when people are trying to do their best to visually encompass or um, to, to put in short things these really deep, complex issues. Because at the end of the day, they are so deep and they are so complex and it almost feels like any type of definition is just going to scratch the surface Mm. so i think you need something simple honestly i think you need a simple definition for a complex problem
0: so karen even with that what are some ways uh that you are actively pursuing justice or uh even in the fight for justice yeah that's
1: of justice, and a lot of times that has to start with an understanding of that power and privilege piece. Mm. A lot of times that has to start with an understanding and a recognition of where you are. Mm. Um, I think there's something really powerful in locating yourself in these systems, right? There's something really powerful of saying, here's the identities with which I own and which I fully live into, right? So for me I live into the identity of a white female upper middle class, if I'm being totally honest, mother um, to two naturally born children Um, I identify as a white collar worker, right? I identify as a student I'm a doctoral student, I identify Um, a woman who has a calling on minis- in ministry. Yeah. Um, and, and there are so many other pieces to that, right? I identify as cisgendered. And um, so I think those types of pieces, really, you have to start there. If you are going to understand how to pursue justice, you have to start with locating yourself within the bigger social system that we live in. And I think sometimes... It would be really nice for us to say, "Ah, oh, there is no social systems, you know, it is what it is, and it's a free for and that's just not the truth. Hmm. That's not the truth. God set us up in social systems from the very beginning, you know, that we were set up to be in systems of relationship, relationship with God, relationship with ourselves, relationship with one another, and relationship with environments um and, and the natural order of things as God would have it to be. And so I think we see that in Genesis from the mm-hmm. very beginning. So I think it would behoove us before we even understand like how do I how how do I live into justice, I guess? How do I live into my identity? How do I live into the social system and like where where, where do I locate myself in mm. that and so I think as I think about like where I fit particularly that's the lens in which I view things and so the things that I am going to pursue in, in advocating for justice and fighting for justice come from my lens They mm. come from to be able to to take that on in myself too and say, no, 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 it's our thing. So it's not an us versus them. It's Mm. a we, it's, it's, it's our issue together. And that's not necessarily to like despair those who have made other choices, you know, like everyone needs to make the right choice for them. And I'm sure that people who put their kids in a different school district have incredibly important reasons for doing so. Mm. Um, so I think in, in fighting, justice, we first have to locate ourselves and mm. recognize what our own identity markers are because that's the lens with which we're going to view injustice. And so uh, the, the reality is, is we can't fight everything. You know, mm. I, as much as I would love to, I'm going to waste my energy and effort if I try to fight everything. So how do I recognize my own identity and then how do I also stand in solidarity with those whose identity is different from mine? Um, And how do I stand in solidarity and fight the injustices that I feel called to fight while knowing that I am shoulder to shoulder with the people who are fighting the injustices that they too feel called to fight? Because at the end of the day, we're all fighting the same thing, which is evil. Mm. We're not fighting people. We're fighting principalities and powers that are working against us, Mm. that are working against humanity. And so... If we understand that that's our baseline, that we're all fighting, you know, the the, the same fight of principalities and powers that are coming against us, we're fighting it from different sides. Yeah, we're fighting it from different sides. Um, yeah, we're,
0: we're from different sides. Mm. I hope
1: that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's really good. You provide a lot of insight that we can go so many directions with this. I think... One really important uh, hot topic that you actually brought up is is this uh, this concept of of women in ministry, um, and a lot of people are either confused or just have a lot of questions about what the Bible says and you know what actually is quote unquote allowed. And so I even would love to be able to tap into that. Uh, what is your thought and perspective on women in ministry and even in leadership roles within ministry
1: Mm -hmm. Mm yeah that's a really good um that's a really good question Mm -hmm. and it's a heated one yeah
0: Uh, a lot of injustice there i I wish it weren't to Mm. be totally
1: So, uh, not just you and I, obviously, Josh, I mean, like, society as a whole. There are so many other things that we could be talking about that, to me, feel um, much more complex. Mm. So, to me, this one is kind of a a no-brainer. But, in that, I recognize that that's my privilege Mm. because I'm a part of a church community that is fully believing and in support of women in ministry and so i think that for some women some women that i know even this is a make it or break it issue for their faith Mm. this isn't for me because i am allowed to exercise my authority inside and outside the church you know we see in genesis from the very beginning that like i said that god sets people to be in relationship with one another and so from the beginning when God uh, creates woman from man, from Adam, uh, the word that he uses to describe Adam is Adamah, which is where we get the name Adam, right? Mm. Uh, which means like being, thing, it. Um, and then when he creates a help helper, right? It mm-hmm. says in scripture that God creates a helper. Um, the word that is used there is actually Azer, E-Z-E-R. E-Z-E-R. And that word is, um, means like an equal person to carry the load, an equal person. Mm. right? So not someone who's subordinate to the other, but someone who is created as an equal carrier of a burden or, or a load. And so I think, you know, from the beginning, God sets men and women in a system of equality. So then we get to the fall, right? And um, Eve and Adam both consume what they should not have consumed. And then when we get to God's judgment, his, his, his pursuit of justice, right? Because in the end, God was wronged. Mm. And so God is pursuing his own sense of justice. And so the way that he does that is to actually create Subordination. So if you look at the scripture, it says, you know, man, you will now lord over and woman, your role, your, your desire will be for your man to lord over you. So from the beginning, there was a system of equality that was set in place. And because of the fall, we're now in systems of inequality, right? Mm-hmm. Where a woman is technically um, in that time, subordinate to a man. Now we fast forward all the way to Jesus, right? So you had that, that was the cultural milieu of the day. We fast forward all the way to Jesus, where Jesus comes to restore relationships. Jesus is the new Adam, the new Adama, right? Hmm. So if Jesus is the new Adam and he has come, to restore all relationships, to right all relationships between God, ourselves, one another, and even our environment. You know, you think about all of the places that Jesus got healing. He reconciled people in both word and deed, right? He reconciled them to himself and he reconciled them. To themselves, and he says, you know, and 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 it's continued on in the New Testament that there is neither male nor female, nor slave, nor free, nor Jew nor Greek, nor Gentile, nor all of these other things. It's all one and the same now. The healing, salvation work of Jesus on the cross is for all people to be re- see, redeemed and restored unto God, and unto themselves, and unto one another, and into the environment. And Mm -hmm. so with that, we live in the freedom of knowing that whatever subordination was there is no longer, because Jesus has redeemed and restored what God's original intention was from the beginning. So that's my thought on that, that I believe that women should be fully free to live Um, and exercise whatever call the Lord has placed on their hearts and minds and souls. And so I get the privilege of going to a church where that is the case. I'm on our teaching team at our church, and I have preached at our church. I've preached in chapel, and I have been a part of many leadership roles where that that privilege has been afforded to me, and I recognize Mm -hmm. that that's not always the case. And so um, that's kind of my... Thought on it, and again, I know that that's. Um, I I don't. I know that not everybody agrees with that. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I have people even within my own family who don't agree with that, and mm. so that's been challenging to navigate. That you know, I I to be totally honest with you, Josh, like I struggle with the fact that I have a seminary degree and I'm per- in pursuit of another one hmm. and that someone who has never been to seminary is more qualified to preach because of genitalia than I am wow. and so that's really challenging to be on the receiving end of that and so I believe that um, God is good and God is still on the throne and so I, I will enact the gifts that the Lord has given me
0: Thank you for sharing your thoughts, um, Karen, that, yes, these are important conversations that we're supposed, to, that we should have, um, especially because it is such an injustice, not just in the world, but especially within the church. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective yeah. on that. So as, you know, as you've worked um, at APU and you're, you know, going for a seminary degree and you've worked with countless amounts of students um, and even, Um, And in working for the Center for Student Action and bringing and mobilizing students to action, when was that pivotal moment uh, in your life where you realized how important justice is and that that was something that you personally wanted to pursue?
1: Mm. I think there's been a few um, because I think as humans, we're stubborn (laughs) (laughs) You know, and sometimes God has to knock us over the head a few times for us to really get it. And I think it's important when we think about justice to recognize that um, we have a role to always be a learner, right? Mm. That we can't come in knowing, like just assuming that we know all things. And so I think it's important to be a learner. And so I've had quite a few learning moments for myself. Um, And most of those we honestly started in college. And so I think my first time that I was really confronted with injustice was on bridges as an alpha leader Mm. long, long ago. Um, I think, you know, seeing some of the people who are experiencing homelessness and the lifestyle of like being a transient and things, I think were things that I didn't really think about. And, and we had such amazing people, in the alpha program who comes, who came alongside us and tried to help shape that experience. But I also, I felt like it wasn't enough. I was left asking a lot of questions Mm -hmm. at the end of bridges. I was left asking, you know, well, why did, why does this even start this way? Like I get how people have ended up, but why does it start this way or whatever it may be. And so then, um, The the year after that, I got the chance to go on an action team Hmm. to South Africa, and it was my second action team, and uh, it was my first, it wasn't my first time traveling internationally. I had been to Mexico with a church group, um, but it was my first time really seeing some racial injustice. You know, I had gone uh, less than 10 years after apartheid had ended, and Hmm. so really trying to watch... How a country that was so shaped by injustice—it's such a deep part of their history, as is ours in the United States. Yeah. I was—I felt like I had almost like a veil lifted on my eyes. You know that scripture where like Jesus puts the mud on people's eyes, and then like the mud comes yeah. off, and then their their eyes are opened. Like or like something like scales fell from their eyes? That's what I felt like happened to me—that well, something like scales fell from my eyes, and I was able to see. community, and we were supposed to bring a Bible story, and so, you know, we did. We always had a Bible story in our back pocket, and so we did, and I knew that a lot of the kids, we knew that a lot of the parents were there for a feeding distribution, and so while the parents were in getting the food, our job was to entertain the kids, and so we did that, and I knew, to be honest, like a lot of our kids were just sitting there waiting for the packet of races that they were going to get at the end of that, and so we went through this whole thing, the telling of the Good Samaritan, and at the end of that, like, the kids immediately jumped up and ran into line and knew what they were supposed to do, but as kids do, they don't line up well. They got rowdy. They got, you know, well, whatever. They're, they're kids, yeah. and so this um, white South African woman came along and literally took her shoe off and was waving her shoe at the children and I was very fearful that she was actually going to hit them with her shoe to try and get them to line up for raisins and I immediately felt this like this this like fire rise up and was like this is not right that's what I that's That was the first time I felt that sense of, like, holy injustice. You know, Mm. that I imagined that Jesus felt when he walked into the table or into the temple and started flipping tables (laughs) everywhere and was like, you have turned my house into a den of robbers. Like, I I felt like I got, like, a little tiny tinge of that as, like, I'm watching this happen and I just felt this deep sense of injustice, like well up within me and I knew that I wasn't the only person on my team that felt that and so you know we had to do a lot of unpacking of what that was and how we wrestle with that and so mm. I think that was like one of my first really deep learning moments I think another one happened um a few years like a few years after that but um I went with my older son to to Mexico when he was about 18 months old we were the dean for my husband and I were deaning for Mexico Outreach. And so we took our 18-month-old son, Eli, with us. And we went to a site where we were building houses. And, um, you know, we were trying to, like, watch him walk around and toddle around us as, as he did. and um, Then afterwards, we went to a park. And, you know, I think that some of our students were working on cleaning and things. Yeah, and yeah. these two um, probably high school-age girls came up to me and asked me in Spanish if they could hold my son. And I was like, oh, absolutely, you can pick him up. Like, he's totally fine. And so they did, and, like, one girl picked him up and, like, put him next to her face, you know, and was, like, holding him so sweetly. And the other girl busted out this giant, like, it was, like, the size of a Kindle Fire type of thing, like, iPad type of thing, and just started snapping all of these photos of, like, this... (laughs) high school student and my white child huh. and I immediately the Lord quickened to my mind isn't this what it feels like when people go into other cultures and take pictures with their babies and I was like like I felt that deep sense mm. of justice and injustice again and I was like oh Lord how many times have I done this like I am so so sorry for the ways that i have been a um like a perpetrator Mm. or perpetuator of injustice you Mm. know as i'm watching my own child my own child be like just just have somebody just take pictures somebody that i don't know that i've never met that she just asked to hold my kid you know here she is like taking model shots with my kids Mm. and i'm like I have a Facebook profile picture of when I was a college-age student Mm. in South Africa holding a black child the exact same way that this girl is holding my child. Mm. And I just felt like that was such um, a learning moment for me, and it was like a good correcting moment for me, and like in a way that only God can, you know, through like his gentle correction, his loving correction. But it also was like such an eye-opening, like learning moment for me. As I was like, "Oh man, okay, I I have to do better. Like mm-hmm. we have to do better." Um, and so I think those are some of the moments that really stand out to me in understanding um, my own.
0: justice what were then some some fears that that you had to let go of what were maybe some of those barriers that even just anyone who may be listening in right now that they may even be feeling and wanting to pursue justice but holding back um a little Mm -hmm. bit because of certain things uh what were those yeah if you don't mind sharing those barriers and fears for you yeah i don't mind sharing at all
1: of saying the wrong thing of doing the wrong thing of causing more harm than good of um what my (laughs) the the difference between intent versus impact right like my intentions are good and clear and sometimes the impact of how that comes across is not so good and not so clear and so recognizing that there is a difference there. And so I think um, my number one fear always is that I'm going to say the wrong thing hmm. or that I'm going to do the wrong thing. I was, um, for his year's program, which is a, a two-year program where we um, invite students to go um, two years after graduation to serve in a least or unreached population, right? Hmm. One of the books that we read this year together is a book by Nick Ripton called Mm. The Insanity of God. And Mm. he says in in this book, I'm going to read this quote to you. It says, Sometimes the problem is not the simple naivete of well-meaning people. Sometimes the problem is the evil that would twist the best intentions into indescribable tragedies. Mm. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because I think... What makes me so fearful is that I'm going to go in with the best intentions and Mm. the enemy is going to work against me and that, um, he's going to twist my words. He's Mm. going to make me do things that don't, that obscure the, the, maybe even incredibly pure heart that I have mm. in, in doing things or he's going to make me feel as though the things that I'm doing aren't enough or um, I just feel like the enemy is, is the oppressor and the liar and so mm. I honestly, my biggest fear stems from the fact that I'm going to be wrong mm. that I thought I had that, you know, I, I did everything that I could to research all the right things and do all of the right things, and that I'm going to be wrong. And it's funny, the, the author of this book, he tells this quote in conjunction with the story. So he spent some years as a full-time missionary in war-torn Somalia, like in the middle of the 90s, when Somalia was just going through literally hell and back, right? And the story... The quote comes after this story of <clears throat> he was working with the UN to bring aid to some of those people, much needed aid, right? Food and, and clothing and things that like literally the Somalis had nothing. And so what happened is somehow the UN decided that it would be a good idea to tell the Somali people in this one village, where and when they were going to do their next food drop. So um, it comes to be that time, and the Somali villagers come out to this large open field where there's a helicopter that's going to be flying over to do all of this food drop. And because of their great need, the Somalis like, just bomb rush to this field, and then the UN folks start dropping these huge bags of rice and Mm. huge bags of potatoes and all of this stuff and these Somalis because they're so desperate try catching it and try like trying fighting each other for and so like people are literally getting killed like severely hurt and killed over trying to catch bags of catching bags of rice being dropped from a helicopter. Or fighting their brother and sister over two potatoes. And and the thing that's so scary about that is like the UN was trying to help. The UN the UN did everything that they knew. Like the the, the United Nations came alongside to do everything that they knew to help the situation. And what happened was indescribable tragedy. Mm. And Scares the living daylights out of me. That if a group of professional relief effort people can um, can have like that sense of naivete or or desire to do things as as you know we feel led, like we think, what would Jesus do? That's what I'm going to do. Is I'm going to provide food to those who do not have food, and I'm going to try and provide like meet people's physical needs. Hmm that that would create systems of indescribable tragedy and situations of indescribable tragedy. That's earth shattering for me. Like that's scary. Like, I, and I don't, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. So then how do I wrestle with the fact that like in that situation, those Somalis were in desperate need of food, mm-hmm. but I, we could, they couldn't get it to them outside of doing this. And then this way, destruction like that's a really scary thought
0: hmm. so in that and and in the fear of of being wrong and not wanting to be wrong um how have you been able to navigate um your in your pursuit of justice navigating with that fear or have you overcome that fear that is the million dollar
1: question I don't I <laughs> I really wish I had an answer to that I think The only thing that I can think of um, that helps me overcome that fear is Jesus, Mm. is scripture, is a reminder that um, perfect love casts out all fear and that I do not have to live in fear um, because Jesus, I I know who wins the battle in the end Mm. and it's what Jesus did. You know, and so if my job uh, as a Christian is to be a little Christ, is to be a little Jesus, Mm. um, how do I be a little Christ on this earth? You know, how how do I recognize that I, in my finiteness, do not have infinite resources or infinite knowledge or infinite power? Mm. So what do I do then with the knowledge, resources and power that... Have been given to me by the Lord, hmm. so I think a lot of that again comes from that recognition of what I do have. Like, what do I have in my hands, right? I have a bank account that has money in it. So how can I give that, okay? And how do I do the appropriate amount of research to make sure that what I, the causes that I'm giving to hmm. are are. Like pursuing justice and and not oppressive causes. Okay, great. I can write a check, right? Mm. How I can I can um be involved in my local government, right? I can vote and I can do my research and ask the candidates, like, mm. what do you believe about this? What do you feel about this? And and so I can do those types of things. So it's just a recognition of what do I have. And also in that recognizing that it's not even mine to begin with,
0: mm. that Jesus
1: has given it to me for a chance to steward these resources, and so how do I steward them? Right, the, the Bible tells the story of the 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 great steward, I think it's called, or like the the person who was
0: given. There's you know a, a landowner, and he's giving um his
1: different people different amounts of money, right? Hmm. And so like the one person goes and buries it in the field because they don't want to lose it. Another person goes and invests it and gets, you know, four times back what they invested. Then another person goes and invests it and gets ten times back what they're what they're given. I don't want to be the girl who buries it in the field. Hmm. I don't want to be the girl who buries my things in the field out of fear okay, maybe I'm not going to get 10 times back on the investment that wasn't even mine in the first place, right? Hmm. I'm not a, So maybe the Lord isn't going to get 10 times back in the investment. Is he going to get one time back? Like one time back? Is that enough? Hmm. Is he going to get two and a half times back? Is that enough? You know, I just, I think the thing that keeps me going is that I don't want to be that girl who buries it in the field. That's more scary, hmm. Josh. Like that's more scary to me than getting it wrong. Hmm. Being the girl who wow. does nothing with the resources that the Lord has given her is more scary to me than being the girl who gets it wrong every once in a while. Because I'd rather take a risk on getting it right six times and getting it wrong the seventh. That means that six times that I that we did it right and that it's like that's six times back what the Lord has given me. Hmm.
0: That's Sorry, good. I'm that's good. Off. No, I'm I'm take please, from. yes. <laughs> no, please. That's yes. Please keep going. That's that's really good, and I think that's such a huge um, encouragement uh, for a lot of people. Um, yeah, that's so important. What you said that if we let ourselves be held back by fear, then you know what will we be able to accomplish at all? And, um, and I think even uh, a lot of the things that you know we may have even experienced. In, in our life just those you know stories of just like how seeing how good god is and seeing how a radical jesus is um in in this world and allowing us to be the hands and feet of justice was the fact that we put ourselves out there and stepped out yeah. uh, in fearlessness yeah, right. um and the more that we step out uh from our fears the more that we get to see more of jesus so uh, thank you, you for sharing fair. wow
1: Jesus, but in
0: our own calling and vocation, it
1: that that Jesus has given us, you know, that the more times we take risk, um the the less risk becomes risky. Mm. I was reading this book for my grad program, for my doctoral program called Being Wrong, and it's a lot of similar like things to what Renee Brown says, right? But Mm. Yeah. than i do from the people who it's easy to lead you mm. know um so yeah i think we we learn so much more from the times that we're wrong as hard as that is than the times that we're right and i think what's scary about that is like at least what's scary about that for me is that i'm always afraid of getting it wrong in the really big moments mm. you know mm. like because that's what our news media sensationalizes. That's what we see played out in culture over and over and over again. All we see is the times that people got it wrong, hmm. epically, right? Yeah. They got it epically wrong. We're not seeing the times where the the people are coming on stage or they're having a, an acceptance speech or saying things and they're using correct politically correct terminology Hmm. nobody cares about that Hmm. what they care is about the time that someone said this really inappropriate thing that they should have said now should they be called to the carpet for that like yes absolutely we should absolutely if you are given um a a national platform you should be held accountable on a national level like Mm -hmm. don't hear me say that that's not okay Mm -hmm. however i think that's what we are taught to sensationalize and to look for is Hmm. the wrong we don't generally give people the benefit of the doubt and so that's why we're on this constant defense of trying to be right um and trying to be on the right side of history and trying to be on the right side of injustice and trying to be on the right side who defines what's right what's right yeah you know and that's why I think like I said at the beginning it's so important to understand the lens that you come from because if I understand if justice is a moving target but I am sure footed I'll know what I'm aiming at right um man I don't preach like that's the word right (laughs) (laughs) but truthfully like if I am solid in Mm. who I am and what the Lord would require of me, then I can stand firmly in that and I can shoot with better accuracy and aim at all of the things that, like, I believe that the Lord has called me to fight against in injustice.
0: So, yeah. Wow. That's good. Um, The one thing, uh, what did you say? It was was along the lines of the less risky becomes risky, or the less risk becomes risky
1: yeah absolutely yeah I think the more you take risk the less risk actually becomes risky Risky. wow yeah yeah I think the more the more you put yourself out there the less risky it actually becomes Mm. to put yourself out there and you're able to do like bigger and 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 more broader things like I think I see this all the time with my kids right you know like and I'm sure everybody had this experience as like in their childhood but, you know when you're learning how to jump from one space to the other right at first or do the monkey bars or do some sort of like physical activity right mm. at first you need the reassurance of like your parent holding your hand and like literally lifting you from one platform to the other right mm. then you can migrate that from like Okay, having your parent just hold one hand as you jump from one spot to the other. Mm. And then you maybe just have your parent like stand right next to you as you jump from one spot to the other. And then before you know it, you're jumping back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Mm. And you almost forget about the days where you needed your parent to literally like hold you and move you from one space to the other. Because what you first saw as risky The more times you did it, the more confident you felt in yourself, the Mm -hmm. more confident you had, confidence you had in your own abilities. And so I think that's so true of Jesus, right? That like, the more we live into the calling of who Jesus has called us to be, Mm -hmm. the first few times that's really scary, that's really risky, you know, Mm -hmm. when we need Jesus to literally pick us up from one space to the other, and then maybe we, we need Jesus to hold our hands, Right. We need Jesus to hold our hand and, and really like help us as we're navigating that calling or that vocation, right? And like that that sense of justice and and living into those things that we feel that deep sense of injustice for. And then um, you know, maybe we need Jesus just to stand near to us. Um and then maybe before we know it, like Jesus has said, like, you're good, live, Mm. live into that sense of injustice and let that fire continue to fuel you. Now Mm. let's work on something else, Mm. you know, now let's work on another risky area that you may feel in your life. And so, um, I think being a parent is such a rewarding experience because I get to live that out with little boys, you know, Mm. who I get to shape and mold, and I have the responsibility and the privilege to shape and mold. My husband and I talk about this all the time, that like it's not lost on us that we're raising two white boys, you know? And so as I think about <clears throat> what life will look like for my children who are now four and seven, mm. what will it look like for them when they're 24 and 27? I hope they recognize their own privilege. I hope they recognize, um, the privileges that are afforded to them simply mm. by the color of their skin, mm. simply by the fact that they were raised in a two-parent household, simply by the fact that they will have a college degree as long as a, one of us are working at APU, you mm. know, simply by the fact that they have parents who are involved and, in, you know, in the middle of world shutting down that we never would have expected, have a computer for them to get online and mm. do like digital coursework you know mm. I hope and pray that the Lord um I, I hope and pray that the Lord helps them recognize those privileges and that my husband and I teach them about those privileges that so-
0: regards to with what you shared too, Uh, what would you say to encourage us as students uh, to uh, pursue justice and and go all in?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think the first thing that I would say is, uh, the first thing that I would say is be a learner. Hmm. I think um, as students, you know, you are constantly, learning, hopefully, that's why you're there, that's mm-hmm. why you're like this, you know, is to be a learner. So I would say be a constant learner. Don't assume that you have all of the answers mm. um, or don't assume that you know the right decisions to make, right? I think sometimes it's easy for us um, to, to look at people and say, I would have done that way better, or right. I would have done that differently, or I would have done, I would have done, I would have done. But then we fail to take into consideration the lens at which those people are looking at, hmm. you know, their their situation or their life or whatever it may be. And so I think the more uh, the more that we can be a learner, um, the better off we are. I think um, learning also doesn't stop once you get out of college, right? Hmm. Like learning is an important part of growing and so i would say be a learner like be voracious in your desire and quest for knowledge um because everybody's going to be reading from their own perspective and Mm. everybody's going to be like speaking from their lens and so the more lenses you see the better off you are right like so if we see i've said this before but if there are 7.4 billion people on this earth, I'm counting, right? Mm-hmm. And every single one of them is created in the image of God, who knows them and loves them. That's 7.4 billion pictures we have of what God looks like. Wow. And, and not counting what what who are the people who have walked <laughs> this earth before us, you yeah. know. Yeah. So like, wow. God is so big and so vast that like there's no way i'm gonna know anything about that so but should that stop me from trying absolutely not Mm. so how do i be a learner in that i think the other thing too is to recognize that things are complicated you know not everything has a solution and Mm. i think that's what's so hard about this too (laughs) is that especially as americans we Mm. like to check things off our list Right. Mm. We are driven by um, the pursuit of the American dream, you know, that like mm. you can achieve, that everything will be done and come to those who work hard enough for it. Justice does not always have an answer. Mm. And I that is a really hard thing to stick with that things are complicated mm. and we may not get an answer this side of heaven to certain injustices. Oh. Um I hope and pray that that's not the case but I also recognize that like there's just things that I'm not going to know mm. there's things that I'm not going to understand fully until I get to heaven and can have a really good cup of coffee with Jesus and we sit down and I'm like hey man like can you help me understand some of these things because this is what I saw mm. and, and you know to hear from the Lord's perspective I think is like so exciting and so scary at the same time right because i'm sure that the lord is going to be like yeah you fought for it in so many ways you also perpetuated it in so many ways mm. let me show you both right mm. let me show you the areas where you really fought well against injustice and without even attending to here's the areas where you perpetuated it but my grace is sufficient, and my mm. mercy is new every morning mm. and so i think recognizing that things are complicated and we're not gonna have the answer to it all oh. the time, um, but that shouldn't stop us from
0: trying. I yeah. think. Karen, are there are there any final thoughts uh, that you may have uh, that you would uh, love to love to share and uh, and in this conversation with? I when,
1: when you first sent me an email asking me to be on this podcast, I think I. Um, it's easy for me to automatically exclude myself from this conversation because mm. I think to myself, like, I'm white, I'm a woman, I'm upper middle class, like mm. I like am married, I own a home, I have all of these things that just automatically disqualify me mm. from even having um from even having a platform mm. with which to speak because I again, going back to that whole idea, like if we're talking about the right and the wrong side of justice or injustice, um, society tells me that I'm always on the right side, Mm. right? Like that's the things that are afforded to me is that the privilege that's afforded to me is that I'm always on the right side. And so I think in that, the Lord did a number on me about reminding me that like, yes, while society may say that you are always on the right side or that you by and large are on the right side, where did Jesus sit? like where did jesus go where did he spend most of his time he spent his time with most of where the people who would be on the wrong side would be found and so um it's 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 my responsibility and and honestly it's my honor to be able to speak from my perspective knowing and owning where I am and knowing and owning that I don't have all of the answers, but I believe that Jesus, um, wants to, and is redeeming and restoring all of humanity. And that includes systems of oppression that Mm -hmm. includes injustices in, in every way, shape or form. And so at the end of the day, that's what I want to speak about. Like, that's what I want to be about. I want to be the person who invests whatever it is that I have, the woman that invests whatever it is that the Lord has given me to steward. I want to invest it. I don't want to just bury it in the field. I want to invest it. And so, yeah, this has been a good learning experience for me in what that investment
0: Wow. Karen, thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your wisdom, Uh, so much wisdom jam-packed in our conversation. Thank you for sharing your perspectives uh, so freely. We tapped uh, a lot into uh, especially like social identity and knowing uh, what uh, is your social lens that you're looking through. Uh, So if you're even curious and you're listening right now and you're wondering what is your social identity, what kind of social lens uh, you're looking through, uh, head over to the Anchor FM website for this podcast. And there will be resources there in the description that you can uh, look into and uh, discover your own personal social identity um but karen wow thank you so much once again uh, I really valued uh i really value you uh just as a leader um as a as a leader and a, um, and a woman in ministry and just the countless ways that you're pouring into people's lives and uh, just speaking truth um and you speak such life um into, into students like me so uh, thank, thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Um, and wow, yeah, looking forward uh, to more conversations with you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to more of these podcasts. I want to hear about people have to learn from them too. Cool. Yeah. Cool, thank you so much Karen. No